You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is we excitingly start a new series here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow called Gospel Shorts, The Real Gospel in the Reels of Acts. So my name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow, and we have spent uh, almost a year now walking through the book of Acts. And what we're going to do is we finish this incredible book in the New Testament, as we are for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be taking these short Real stories of life. And we're going to begin to apply them to what it looks like in our life. Do you know what a reel is? There are approximately about 800 million of them on YouTube every single day. And what they are, are they're usually one to three minute stories, often of a compelling nature, that the people have used to tell their story of how something has changed their lives. And generally, right at two billion people a week access these stories on YouTube. And so that is how, as we finish the book of Acts in the next 10 weeks, that we are going to see these stories of life change. And today, from Acts chapter 16, I want us to see how God continues to do the most amazing, extraordinary things in an incredibly unique way. God is going to take a slave girl that is possessed and is going to change her life in a radical way. God is going to take a jailer who was a former Roman soldier, and he's going to see the testimony of Paul and Silas, and his whole entire household is never going to be the same. Why? Because God often does extraordinary things in unique ways. Let me give you an example of this. I mean, if I was to ask you, but what is the most dangerous, deadliest feline in the entire world, what would you say? Some of you would conjure up images of Africa, and you would think, well, obviously a lion, right? You have the lion is a king of the jungle. There's something about this perennial reign of this incredible creature that God has created. No, the lion is not the most deadliest cat in the entire world. Well, some of you would also then have to say, well, it has to be a leopard then. I mean, leopards are known for their tenaciousness in regard to hunting. And of all hunters, if you're going to Africa, most people will say, yeah, watch out for the lion. But no, you better watch out specifically for the leopard. No, it's not the leopard either. So wait, if it's not the lion, if it's not the leopard, who is it, Garfield? I mean, what's going on here, right? In God's sense of humor, The most deadliest feline in the entire world is, are you ready for this? The black-footed cat. Even though this cat only weighs two to six pounds, this is the deadliest cat in the entire world. For this cat will capture, seize, and devour more prey in one night in Africa than leopards do in six months. In fact, in regard to hunting, this animal is the most precise hunter in the entire animal kingdom. 60% of all of their prey are captured by this black-footed cat. And even as a renowned dog lover, I've got to admit that I'm pretty impressed by those numbers, right? Who would have ever thought? Only God. God has a way of doing something extraordinary in an unexplainable way. And as we come to Acts 16, that's exactly what's going on here. Now, I'll remind you contextually that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy are now embarking on Paul's second missionary journey. Their spirit-filled expedition is taking them from Macedonia, now in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40, to specifically Philippi. 
Now, Philippi was a significant Roman military outpost. It was rebuilt and fortified and occupied with many retired Roman soldiers. Paul also has chosen his companion, Silas. Now, remember the significance of choosing Silas in Acts chapter 15, verse 40. Silas was a Jewish Christian. He understood the traditions and structures of Judaism. He was also a Roman citizen. Which means then, as Paul began to expand the light of Christ into the darkness of the Roman Empire, Silas was absolutely the exact co-partner that God would have for him. And in Luke chapter, or in Luke 16, Luke begins to transition now from the conversion of Lydia, the first European convert in the entire New Testament, to now two nameless characters that we'll only know in glory. One, a woman who is demon-possessed. She was consumed by evil, but will have the light of Christ given to her. Secondly, a jailer whose entire life, more than likely as an ex-Roman soldier, was given to duty and honor and fidelity to the Roman emperor, will now hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will give his life now to a king and will be free indeed. Now, upon their arrival in the region... Paul and Silas have been praying, and as they encounter this woman who is obviously of an occult, the Bible says in verse 16 that she has a spirit of divination, she has the ability to predict the future, she is about to have her entire life changed by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. As we start this new series, may we stand in awe once again of the gospel truth that it is Jesus that literally changes everything. With that in mind, why don't we meet this woman now in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And your Bible says this. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and were brought her by her owners for much gain in fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us and crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her this very hour. Now, this woman was troubled. This woman, arguably for quite some time, has been possessed by a spirit. Literally, according to verse 16, a python spirit. Now, please notice here that as God's people continued to move and to spread the gospel, as God was working, Satan was faithfully at work. It is a truth of life that you need to adhere to. That in your high times of life, Satan will faithfully be at work. In your low times of life, Satan will faithfully be at work. I remind you that even in the earthly life of Jesus, that the crowning achievement of his earthly life in Matthew 3, that he is coronated by God himself at his baptism. That literally he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not only the faithful promised Messiah that has been promised to come from generation to generation. No, he is God. And as God, he will triumphantly reign over all things. In Matthew 3. And in Matthew 4, the Bible says, immediately he is thrown into the wilderness by the Spirit. And he is tempted by Satan at a high time in his life. Consequently, in a low time in his life, in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he was once again interceding before the Father for you and for me, and asking the Lord, nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but thine will be done. The Bible tells us that he was tempted by Satan in a very real way. In Jesus' high times of life and low times of life, he was tempted. 
It is the same with the apostles in the book of Acts. We have just come from the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, a crowning achievement of God's people, saying that one is saved not by nationality, not by traditions or circumcision, something done outside of you, but rather what God has done on the inside through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the gospel then is not just for a certain sect of people, but rather all who faithfully repent of their sins and call upon the Lord for salvation, whether they're Jew or Gentile. This was an amazing achievement by God's grace through his people. Notice who shows up again in Acts 16. Here he is, our arch enemy, faithfully working. And he's working through a girl who's possessed by a python spirit, literally in the Bible. Now, what's the significance here? The python was a mythical serpent or dragon that dwelt in the region of Delphi at the time of the book of Acts, or central Greece. It supposedly guarded the temple of Apollo. And in this region of Delphi, there were women who would then go to these stone dwellings. They would go to these caves at Delphi, and they would take in a specific gas called ethylene. And this gas would asphyxiate them to the point of delirium, And based upon that, they would be mumbling over and over and over again. And advantageous, ruthless slave owners would buy these women, would then sell their words as fortune as a means of profit. And that is exactly what is going on here. This woman has been consumed by a demon. This woman is being taken advantage of by these slave owners. And she is going to this region of Delphi, and she is claiming, based upon this ethylene gas, that she has a vision from the gods. Now, the time that the Greeks occupied this territory, their god, Apollo, was thought to be able to predict the future as a means of Greek mythology. And so that is what this woman is doing. She is mumbling and babbling as a result of this gas. And people are taking her words as words from the gods himself. We have something like this in Oklahoma. You ever been to Sulphur? You ever been to Sulphur, America? Has a very unique smell, doesn't it? Uh, I remember when I was in high school, we had a student pastor there who, who spent the summer kind of investing in junior and seniors. And so I was at the time I was a junior, there, there was a group of us boys that before school started and two-a-day started, uh, we went to central Oklahoma and we were hiking and hanging out and you know, that part of Davis and the Arbuckle Mountains and it's really beautiful in its own way, is it not? And, and so we were on our way back to Sulphur. And so as we were heading there, sulfur has a very distinct smell. It smells like rotten eggs. And so as we, we were going through this town, we were just absolutely overwhelmed by the smell. And, and so us being high school boys at the time, body spray had just came out. And so even though we'd been hiking all morning and we were just overwhelmed by the smell, we had an idea. We'll just get rid of it through our body spray. And so we took out body spray, and we took out uh, you know, the scent of men in that era, you know, so Jakar, Cool Water, Stetson, Brute, and we were just kind of overwhelming the entire church band with the smell. And before you know it, our student pastor had to pull over on the side of the road because we were fogging up with the smell so bad in that van. We couldn't decide if the smell was worse on the outside with the sulfur or on the inside with all of these fragrances mixed together. We couldn't get to Brahms in Purcell right off I-35 fast enough. It was an absolute disaster. And that is what's going on here in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. That this woman has been indwelt by a spirit, a spirit of divination, 
She's been taken advantage of by her owners and who are gaining from her in regard to fortune telling. And notice what happens in verse 17. This possessed girl is lucratively portraying herself as a fortune teller, and she begins to follow Paul and his companions. Now, we don't know how specifically long she followed Paul and Silas, but it was for a certain amount of time. And she reverently observes that there's something different about these men. She is seeing and hearing now the gospel. And so in verse 17, she says, these servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation, and you and I interpret this way in a way of the one true God. More than likely is this woman in her polytheistic, pluralistic background, that is not what she meant at all. In fact, this phrase, the most high God, was the same designation that Greeks would exclaim Zeus for. And so Paul, after a while, after there was a season of grace, Spirit filled with patience, Paul became grungily annoyed. And he rebukes the spirit inside of the woman in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible does not tolerate polytheism, for there is only one God and solely one way to him. You and I stand on the truths of Scripture, that we have a God and he has made himself known through the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not accommodate any other religion. We will not accommodate any other philosophy. No, we stand firm in the gospel. And we point as many people to Jesus as possible. We point as many people to the way, the truth, and the life. And that is exactly what is happening here. That Paul, as a demonstration of God's power and grace, exercises this demon out of this woman, the first time it's happened in the book of Acts. Now, amazingly, the response of this exorcism is overwhelmingly negative. For there are three different groups who oppose Paul and Silas in verses 19 through 24. This liberating rescue of Paul and Silas of the slave girl actually leads to a greedy and ruthless response by these slave owners. They seize and charge Paul and Silas with two things specifically in verses 19 through 21. One, civic unrest, and number two, that they were teaching customs that were not approved by the Roman Senate. And on a technicality, they're right. At this time of the book of Acts, there was without question, though a sole allegiance must have been given to the emperor of Rome, there was a tolerance of Judaism in the area. The Roman officials knew that the Jews would never conform totally to an orthodox Roman empire. And so they allowed Jews to teach their customs and to keep their traditions as long as they kept the peace. And so here you have now Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy, teaching a gospel not of legalism, not of tradition, but of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these men, seeing the power of life change, people no longer needing their mediums, are now losing business. And so they come to the magistrates in the area, and they say, these men are teaching something false, not approved by the Senate, and so consequently, without any official trial, Paul and Silas are dragged into the marketplace, stripped, beaten, and arrested in verses 23 and 24. You see, all they had to do was keep this girl in slavery. All they had to do was leave this girl alone. They would have avoided persecution. But instead, they chose rescue over their own safety. We have come to a time in our country where you and I must do the same. In a world where there appears to be no wrong, it is always right to do right.
Over the weekend in the state of California, the state legislature has now passed a law that says the state now has every right to take a child from his home if the parents do not affirm the gender of that child. So where you and I come from a conviction that God creates something, he does so with purpose and design. That there is no ambivalence to gender. That the Bible says numerous times throughout both the Old Testament and New Testament that God created us male and female. Genesis 1, 27, Genesis 5, 2. Jesus himself affirms this in Matthew chapter 19. That you have your specific gender because it is given to you by a loving, intentional God for his glory. You are everything you are because of him. He loves you. He knows you. And he created you for a purpose. Well, the state of California now, as law, says that one's child can just decide at any time, at anywhere, to change their gender. And if their parents do not accommodate such decision, then the state has every right to seize them. This is wrong. This is unbiblical. You and I have an obligation to stand for those who are under such deception. You and I have the obligation to shine light into darkness. You and I have every right to say no, thus says the word of God. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas has done. To do nothing is a choice. They could have left this woman to herself and to her slave owners, and they refused. They chose her freedom over their own safety. We must do the same. We must stand for the survivor. We must stand for those who are persecuted. We must confront deception with grace and truth and with all vitality point to the scriptures and to a king who we ultimately answer to. Jesus changes everything. And so this action led to Paul and Silas being seized, beaten, probably one of three times in the New Testament that Paul was seized and beaten, almost to death. And Luke then takes us in verses 25 through 34 to now a jail cell around midnight. You're not going to believe this, what God could do. So about midnight, Luke the great historian tells us, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Prisoners were, were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, you see this word here? Immediately, all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were broken, unfastened. And the jailer awakes. And he sees that the prison doors are all open. And he draws his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer, in stunned unbelief, calls for lights, rushes in. In trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And they brought them into his house and they set food before him and they rejoiced 
along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Paul and Silas, bloodied and bruised, overwhelmed in the middle of the night, not by the reality of their circumstances, but the hopeful, spirit-filled worship of God and joy from God. Please notice here that Paul and Silas are incarcerated, but they're not incapacitated. Know that God was right there. God was right in the midst of them. Paul is living out his theology in real time. So when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is brought forth in your weakness. He means it. When he will tell the church of Philippi in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, and I say rejoice, he means it. Why are they singing? What are they singing? Well, biblically, we don't know. It's more than likely a combination of the Hillel Psalms, but it could have been, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. Maybe the battle hymn of the Republic. How about our God is greater? How about victory in Jesus? How about the battle belongs to the Lord? The question is what they were singing. The question is why. You want to know why? Because their focus was not on their great circumstances, but on the greatness of their God. That though they were shackled and more than likely placed in a means of stocks that would have spread their legs to the utmost, lactic acid after just minutes would have built in their muscles, cramps over and over again, unable to walk, unable to get up, unable to have this pain go away. Yet there was something greater than those things. The presence of the Lord, the joy from the Lord, a renowned sense that regardless of my circumstances changing, we have a God who never changes. And the same God who never changes is always in charge. Paul and Silas did not lose their theology or base their theology on their circumstances, but rather, are you ready for this? They viewed their circumstances in light of their theology, do we? In times of strife and hardship, even in times of blessing, our theology should not change. We will be knocked down in life, but we'll never be knocked out. Why? Because God alone has the ability to bring good from any bad situation. Our bodies will be wearied and broken. Our minds will be stressed out, stretched out to the max. But our hearts can still be free and full of peace and joy because we have a God who is with us because he is for us. And suddenly, in the midst of this reality, Paul and Silas singing with everything they've got, amazingly, even listened by the prisoners. Maybe, you know, they had the voice of Sinatra. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they had the vocals of Chris Stapleton. I don't, I don't know. There was something going on here that was unique that even the prisoners in this heinous jail at Philippi had never seen anything like this. And in the midst of this tension, an earthquake erupts, rocks the jail, dismantles the entire infrastructure, 
Now, earthquakes throughout the Bible were understood as universally a form of divine warning. In fact, did you realize that in the Old Testament specifically, that earthquakes can indicate the fury and presence of the Lord? You ever been through an earthquake before? We we seem to have them in kind of intervals here in Oklahoma. I remember 15 to 18 months ago, we were in my conference room here in our offices located right here. And and our offices there were built in temporary in 2003. They were 11 double-wide trailers held together with grace and duct tape. And so we were over there in that conference room, and we were talking about the ways of the Lord and some exciting ministry that was coming. And all of a sudden, nothing was really shaking, but we... We heard this clanking sound. No, it wasn't from our student ministry, all right? Praise God. It was this grinding, clanking sound, so much so that during the meeting, we were like, do you hear that? What is it? We began to look around and, you know, uh, perennially, uh, we will have multiple critters that will just kind of show up on my side of the office. I don't know if they just love me or, you know, they're really excited about what kind of the meetings that go on that room, but normally it's possums or skunks. Praise God it wasn't the latter in this case, right? In fact, I remember one time I was meeting with a couple who wanted to join our church and we just had a wonderful conversation and ultimately they ended up joining our church by God's grace. They're in this room this morning by God's grace. And we were about to pray, and they said, do you hear that sound? And there was just a little critter kind of running around. And I said, oh, don't mind that. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's go on. Just fine. (laughs) But we heard this sound, this earthquake. That's exactly what happens here. It's a power from the Holy Spirit. Life-transforming power that God once again in the book of Acts is, is at work in a unique, unexplainable way. That this earthquake is not only going to free Paul and Silas, this earthquake is going to free this jailer. This earthquake provides the scene for one of the most memorable transformations in all of the book of Acts. And so that's why the Bible says in verse 27 that the jailer is awakened immediately in observing the jail. He finds that all the doors of the prison cells are open. And the reality of this truth overwhelms him. You see, this jailer was more than likely a former Roman soldier, a soldier that would have given an oath to Caesar, who would have from the very second of his commission followed the orders of his superior in every aspect of his life. He would have given his life to duty, prestige, and honor. And there was a Roman law at the time that required a life for a life, that if the emperor entrusted a life to you and you lose that life, you consequently lose your own life. And so that is why, to the utter amazement of this man, he has no other logical choice than to take his own life. But the Lord intervenes in verse 28. The jailer is interrupted by this loud yell by Paul, who informs him, are you ready for this? That there is not a single prisoner that is not unaccounted for. Paul here embodies the teachings of Jesus, who taught his disciples to love their enemies, to actually care benevolently for those who opposed them. Why did they stay? How could they go? These prisoners were in complete, utter amazement of the power of God. You see, God will move heaven and earth to accomplish his perfect will in you. This is why we need the book of Acts. This is why we've taken a year of our lives through the book of Acts. Because so many of us will forget this truth. 
of the earth-moving power that God has already demonstrated in saving us, in keeping us. This is why we need each other. This is why it's so important to gather as God's church. And this is why it's so important for you to be involved in small groups and community. This is why tonight when we're having a 365 rally right here in our worship center, where we are gathering together as God's people and we are making disciples and make disciples and make disciples just as Jesus did and just as Jesus commanded us to do. Tonight at 5 p.m., we're celebrating the hundreds that are now joining into this ministry of 365s. We're going to pray, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to commission as we launch these groups. You say, well, what's a 365? A 365 is a smaller group, men meeting with men, women meeting with women. Normally around three to five. For about 32 weeks out of the year, you're reading the Bible. You're reading these stories from the Old Testament and New Testament. You're memorizing the scriptures, but it's not just Bible study, it's Bible living. You are living out these truths of Scripture. You're holding each other accountable. You're celebrating all of these truths of God in and through your life together as a group. My 365 this past year, was, it was just one of the best times of my week. We had a 90-year-old. We had a guy in his mid-20s. We had two guys in his 40s. A lot going on. And to hear each and every week of the faithfulness of God, to read these Scriptures and to see these characters come to life, but then to say, you know what, I've been in a similar situation. I mean, I, I've been stretched out to the max. I've had bonds of, of shame that needed to be unfastened. I've literally had strongholds that needed an earthquake to undo them. And God did that through the power of the Spirit and prayer. It was so encouraging. I think I learned more from them than they ever would from me. It is this privilege that you and I have as God's people. These are real individuals who God did an extraordinary, unexplainable work through. The same God can do the same through us. Jesus truly does change everything. And so this man, driven to his knees, asked Paul and Silas the most important question of his life. Sirs, in verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Now, I'll remind you that previously, just a couple of verses to the south, he was about to take his own life. Now he is in awe of a power greater than his own, greater than any emperor could ever give. And he comes to Paul and Silas, benefactors of this power, and asks them the most important question of life. The most important question that each and every one of us must ask, and here's their response in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, did you notice Paul and Silas didn't tell him believe in the idea of Jesus? Did you notice that Paul and Silas didn't tell him to believe in the building of Jesus? No, he says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This word believe here means one who accustoms, receives all who Jesus is and claimed to be. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is not an idea. Our God is not a philosophical thought. Our God is not a statue or a rock. Our God is the one true God. He is high and above the mighty one. He is Yahweh. 
El Shaddai, El Ohim, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. Is he your king? He demands as a result of who he is, your complete allegiance. That is why Jesus is referenced as Lord 747 times in the New Testament, 92 times in the book of Acts alone. For this man to receive this power, he would forsake all other allegiances. and He would give his life to the one king who was sovereign, ruler, and master over all. And by God's grace, in verses 32 through 34, amazingly, this man does. Him and his entire household would sit under the teaching of Paul. This jailer would then believe. He would immediately be baptized in verse 33. And instantly, his entire life would be transformingly new. The same power that changed the jail changes the heart. It is within God's grace and God's power that he rejoices in the belief in such a God and welcomes all who believe in that same God into his house. When you give your life to Jesus, he literally changes your life. So how about you? As we leave here this morning, how about you? Is there a past that you need to be broken from? Is there a stronghold in your life that needs to be undone? Is there some aspect of the power of Jesus that you need in your everyday life? Or is there just a new life that you need this morning? Can I tell you that God can work extraordinarily in the most incredible way through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? It is this same God that is presenting you his good news that is still changing lives today. Jesus changes everything. How about you? If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast and always remember you are loved.